Hello, my Iron Man brothers. I just have to say I have a feeling today. It's something, an excitement. I don't know how to explain it other than to say it is new. It is fresh. It is obviously spirit-driven. And I just want to share with you an encouraging message uh, to start, to introduce our lesson today. And then we'll get into Daniel chapter 3 from our past Monday night uh, Iron Man experience. Uh, Many of you missed out on it, and it was just so rich. I thought uh, it would be good to do a recap of it. Um, I was encouraged by my brother Chad to, to do this podcast and certainly convicted by the Holy Spirit to share with you what is going on in my life that is just new and fresh. And I want to start with that. Today, I have just been so convicted by the Spirit. I have been feeling what a lot of you probably have been feeling. Um, Stress, worry, concern. We've got a lot going on in our society right now. We have a very contentious and ugly political climate with this election coming up and everybody talking about how it's the most consequential election in the history of the United States. That is just totally bogus. Uh, there, there's a lot of angst and concern and worry about what tomorrow holds, about what will happen after the election, about what's going to happen with this pandemic. Uh, we have financial concerns. We have civil unrest. This has been just a terrible, terrible year, and it has caused so much concern and worry and and depression. And I have to admit that that I have experienced bouts of all of those things. And today, I have a fresh perspective. I have a renewing from the Holy Spirit himself. I have an assurance. I was reminded that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. I've been reminded by looking at the scriptures and especially the story from Daniel that Man, when things look bad, we still have a God who is in charge. And there is nothing that we cannot get through with him at our side. As a matter of fact, we can do more than just get through. We we can do more than thrive. We can excel in any environment because we have God, the power of God, not just with us, but living inside of us. And man, I am just encouraged to know that whatever comes my way, God is with me and that we can conquer all things. I can do all things through Christ who lives in me. And so I just wanted to share that with you. I also wanted to share with you just an encouraging message, a recap of what we did from Daniel chapter 3, which is a story that we have heard from the time we were children, but it is so rich. It is so profound. It goes so much beyond a children's story. 
and is so relevant to our lives. And I just wanted to share with you that message today on this episode of Iron Supplements. So this past week in our Iron Men meeting, our get-together, we looked at Daniel chapter 3. And this is a very, very familiar passage. It's the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. One of the most uh, familiar passages in all of Scripture. In fact, the, the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah is taught to us as, as children. Growing up in, in our Bible school classes, uh, we, uh, we are taught to, to look at Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah as men of great faith who make a great proclamation of faith and as men that we would aspire to be as people of God. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are my heroes in the Bible, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. And I love it when, when I have a revelation by God given a new perspective on familiar passages. And as I read this story again, I began to experience it in a rich and deep and profound way that I had never experienced before. And so you guys all know this story, right? The, the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And uh, as you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, Kevin, I don't have any clue what you're talking about because I do not know who Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are. Or maybe you do. Maybe you've already picked up on the plot twist. You see, you are familiar with the story if you've grown up in the church or if you've spent much time in the church uh, reading through the Bible. It is a very familiar story, and you don't have to have much biblical knowledge to know it, but you just have heard it from a different perspective. You have not heard it from the perspective of being the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You've heard it from the perspective of being the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I want to tell you that this is a profound way of changing your thought about this story. You see, uh, as it is written, it seems to be about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are the Babylonian given names to these three men. But this is the story of three men who never lost their identity in a foreign culture. They never saw themselves as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, they held on to who they were, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And as a consequence of recognizing who they were and whose they were, they found a faith to face an obstacle that it was overwhelming and a great story of faith. It is one of the greatest statements of faith in all of Scripture in this passage in Daniel chapter 3. And so we're going to look at the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. (music) 
So this is a familiar passage for those of us who have grown up in the church, but I recognize that not everybody has heard the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so uh, let's just go over it again, just so that we're all on the same page. It'll be a great reminder for those of us who have heard it before. And for those of uh, you who have never heard this story before, what a great story in the Bible. One of the best stories in all the Bible. And I have a lot to say about it. So what has, what, let's, let's just set up where we are. So we are in Babylon. And the Jews have been taken away, the Israelites have been taken away from their homeland in Jerusalem, and they are in captivity in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar is in charge at this time. And as king, he sets up this image of gold, this huge image of gold that is 90 feet tall and 9 foot wide. And he sets it up on the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then he summons all of the government officials to the dedication of this gold image. And he commands them all. Whenever they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyra, harp, and pipes, and all kinds of music, that they must bow down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so whoever, this is the, this is the consequence, whoever did not worship the, the image would be thrown into a blazing fire. And so... Uh, they are there at the dedication, and of course, the, the sounds of the, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyra, the harp, and all these other uh, pipes and other kinds of, of instruments uh, sound off. And all the people and all the nations, men of every tribe and language, they fell down and worshipped the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. That is, except for the fact that there are some uh, some men who didn't do that. There are a group of Israelites who refused to worship the image of gold. And this is a source of great consternation for some of the other officials who have bowed down to King Nebuchadnezzar. And they feel it is their responsibility to let the king know that even though he issued this decree that everyone who hears the sound of, of all this music should fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever didn't do that would be thrown into a fire. There are these Jews among uh, the people who have set, who, who are actually have been set over the affairs of the people who are in charge, like who, who have been given special privilege by Nebuchadnezzar, and they do not exactly go along. They, they, it, it says this, uh, There are some Jews among you who have been set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. Oh my goodness. They pay no attention to this king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Now this sets Nebuchadnezzar off. He is enraged. How could these Jews whom he has chosen, whom he has given special favor, how could they choose not to honor him in return? 
How could they refuse to worship his gods and worship this image that he has set up? And so he summons them and he talks to them about what is happening. He asks them, is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? And he says, now listen, I'm going to give you one more chance. If when you hear the music, you will fall down and worship this idol that I have set up, then everything will be fine. But if you do not, I will throw you into the fire immediately. And then he asked this question. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Oh, wow. I love that. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And I love their answer. What follows is the greatest statement of faith, I believe, in all of Scripture. They look at him and they say, Oh, King, <laughs> Let, let's just cut to the chase. We don't have to answer to your charges. We don't have to defend ourselves in this matter. Uh, I love that. They say, you know, the, we want you to know, O oh, King, that we serve a God who can save us, and we believe that he will. Let me read this exactly as it is written in Scripture. I think this is one of the greatest uh, statements of faith. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. So there's your answer. There's your answer, oh King Nebuchadnezzar. That you just asked what God will be able to save you from my hand. And the answer to that is, well, our God is able to do that and he will. So there you go. Great statement of faith. And if they had stopped there, that would be a great statement of faith. But what makes it the even better statement of faith, what makes it the greatest statement of faith is what they said after that. They said, we want you to know, King, that even if he does not, we will not bow down or serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if our God does not save us, we will not bow down to you, your gods, or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Oh my goodness, this sets Nebuchadnezzar off. He is furious. It, the Bible literally says that his attitude toward them changed and he ordered the... This, uh, the, the fire, the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than it was, hotter than usual. And then he commanded his strongest soldiers to throw them into the fire. And they, they are. And you know the, the rest of the story. Or those of you who have grown up in the church know the rest of the story. That as they are thrown into the fire... The, the heat is so, so intense that the soldiers who are doing the, the leading of these prisoners into the fire, they actually burn up and die. And as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or uh, shall we say, uh, 
Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah, as they are thrown into the fire, uh, they are not harmed at all. As a matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he doesn't see three men, he sees four men. And they're walking around in this fiery furnace that is seven times hotter than normal. And they are walking about unbound and unharmed. And he commands them to come out. And when they do, everybody notices that they are fine. And as a matter of fact, they are so unharmed, they're, they're, there's not even a singed hair on their body or even the smell of smoke on them. Like they are totally unaffected by the furnace itself. So this is one of those stories that has one of those obvious, the moral of the story is, right? We learn it from the time that we're children, that the moral of the story is that we should be like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and to have no other gods before the God of heaven. Like our God is the God and we should not bow to any other idols. That's the first commandment. It's the first thing that we learn. And we can admire these men who face a great trial. Their very lives were on the line and yet they stood up for their faith. And man, you know, we can, we can definitely aspire to be like uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, however you want to say it. But to be honest with you, more often than not, I probably more resembled King Nebuchadnezzar. Like when I looked at the story, I, I recognized that I have those same kind of desires. Like King Nebuchadnezzar, why does he build this great statue? Why does he build this, this monument? Well, he's building a monument to himself. He's building something that he hopes will uh, stand for his majesty long after he is gone. It's a monument to himself. It's a legacy. And I understand the, the, the desire to have something that, that I have created that will outlast me. I can understand the desire to make something that people admire and appreciate so that they ultimately, ultimately what I want is for them to appreciate me. I want them to worship what I have done, what I have created. I get that motivation. And it's not something that is uh, probably uh, resigned only to kings, right? Uh, they have the means and the ability to do things that ordinary people don't. And so we have this great monument, 90 foot tall and nine foot wide, made of pure gold, a wonder to behold for sure, a monument to a man who wants to believe that he is great. And as Christians, we look at this story and we might kind of just turn our nose up at the idea of bowing down and worshiping a created thing. Except for when we think about our own lives, we do the very same thing. We worship our created things. We want them to be admired. We want to be admired. You see, it was not that he was calling people to bow down and worship to the idol. By doing that, what they were doing is they were worshiping him as a God. And I understand that desire for people 
to to want to have people admire me so much that I get caught up in my own uh, feelings, my own self, my own desires, and wanting people to admire me. And I forget that when I do so, I put myself in place of God, right? The, to build a legacy for myself, if I am not pointing my pointing everybody else towards God, I want them to see me, well, then I am in no different place than Nebuchadnezzar. So I am Nebuchadnezzar. And I can understand. I can understand his feelings toward Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. After all, he had taken them in. He had fed them from his own tables, and they kind of turned their nose up at his food. And uh, yet, uh, they were wise. They demonstrated great wisdom. They they uh, were promoted. They uh, he he gave them uh, a special recognition. And I can imagine that he would want from them in return some kind of respect, and for them to outright disrespect him in front of everybody is something that you just do not do to a king. And so the Bible says that his attitude towards them changed. How do you go from admiration to being wanting to kill them so much that you're willing to intensify the fire seven times hotter? Well, I know that feeling too. It's the feeling of being rejected. Whenever we face rejection in our lives, our feelings towards people that formerly that we had great respect for is gone. Like it turns instantly to anger. It turns instantly to wanting to destroy them. When we feel rejected, it it does. It flips that switch within us and turns us from a place of love and respect to a place of anger and wanting to destroy. And so, man, I... I have been rejected. I know that feeling. I know the feeling of wanting people to to uh, burn, <laughs> literally. He has the ability to do this, to carry it out, though. He can literally make these men burn. At least he believes he can. And so uh, I, 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 I certainly can. Um, well, I just say that at times I... And then there are these other men in this story, which... Um, these these governmental officials, the satrap prefects, governors, and, and all these other um, provincial leaders who, in this story, they, they come across as being, well, somewhat of a snitch. They, they, they come across as being a little petty and, and maybe even a little envious or jealous of uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they, they go and they snitch to Nebuchadnezzar and get these men in trouble for simply carrying out their faith. And uh, reading it today, we look down on these officials. And yet I, I can't help but wonder if I, when I put myself in their place, I can't help but wonder if maybe they thought they were just being patriotic if they thought they were just doing the right thing. Here they were, they, they were trying to be loyal to Nebuchadnezzar. After all, they, they owed their position to Nebuchadnezzar. Certainly, they want to keep order, they want to keep the king happy. And here, 
the king has appointed them to be officials and they are doing what they think is the right and legal thing by bowing down to these statues. And yet there are these other men who are flaunting the law. They are going against the law. They are breaking the law of the king. And I can't help but think that they feel like they are doing nothing more than carrying out their duty. They are being loyal to their king by pointing out the lawlessness of these officials, right? And so by bringing the attention uh, to the king about the, the actions, uh, I, I believe they do so believing that they will be rewarded. And maybe, maybe there is uh, a sense that uh, they will get ahead by bringing down these other people. But let's face it, I think that we all have that feeling of, of believing that we will get ahead by doing the right thing or the lawful thing, or the popular thing, going along, right? Getting along, uh, earning favor. Those are all desires within us. And so I can totally, uh, I can totally relate to these officials in a way. Like everybody is commanded to do these things and we have to go along with it because it is the law. Hmm. Now, for them, it was not a matter of conscience. They did not worship the God above Yahweh. They did not worship Yahweh. And so they were simply following what they felt like was the best thing to do. And so, you know, I cannot help but... uh, Uh, think that if I were in their circumstances, I might not do the same thing. But I don't try to put myself in their circumstances because they're godless, right? And godless people do godless things. Uh, So maybe what I can, I I would like to think is that I would be uh, one of God's people in this story that I that I am because I am a Christian. I am a child of God. I try to put myself on the side of the children of God. And I would like to think that as a child of God, that when the sound of all of these instruments uh, was played, that I would not bow to the um, altar I wouldn't of Nebuchadnezzar. Like I would not bow to this idol. But I have to admit that uh, in my heart, I would, I would probably never bow to the idol. But when those instruments sounded, it might be a convenient time for me to tie my shoes. <laughs> or, or, oh, I just dropped a contact. I just need to bend down and pick it up. Or I might convince myself I am not bowing down and worshiping the idol. But um, this is a convenient time for me to praise God. And in my heart, I am not bowing to the idol, but I, I'm praying to God. And so that is, is really my intention. It's the intention of my heart. And yet, uh, by doing that, by bending, I, I reveal the true intentions of my heart. And that's just to get, go along to get along. Like, to take the path of least resistance, to to not stand out as a man of God, to not trust 
God enough to take care of my circumstances. See, I, I would would hope that I was like uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, but I might be just a little bit more like those officials than I'd like to admit. So I like to find truth where truth is, and uh, I do follow uh, a number of different teachers, and one of the teachers I follow is a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, um, Rabbi Sachs. And every week I get uh, an email from him, and this week uh, he sent um, an email about the concept of lech lecha, which is the courage not to conform. And I think that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah perfectly um, embody this, uh, this idea, the courage not to conform. You know, um, Christian leaders react differently than the masses. The, 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 the most people are happy to conform. They're happy to bend to culture. And uh, I see this in the church all the time. Unfortunately, religious leaders are all too eager to bend to culture, and they do not have the courage not to conform to pressures of this world. And as godly men, we are called to to lead differently. We are not called to conform, but to be transformed. And not only are we called to be transformed, but we are called to help each other transform into the likeness of Christ, uh, to introduce each other to the Spirit and to live according to the Spirit of God rather than the Spirit of man. And so Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had a fundamental trust in God that went far beyond their their own desires for their life. They understood that their lives were nothing without Yahweh, without their Father God. And I believe that we need to get to that as well. And so, yeah, I, I think that there is within us all a desire to aspire to be like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But we recognize also this desire to be like Nebuchadnezzar and want to be admired and uh, understanding that we want to act out uh, of our own feelings, uh, especially when we're rejected, acting out of our anger. And we can, we can kind of uh, understand that those emotions and those desires, and unfortunately, we all too often act like he does. And then we also see ourselves in the officials who uh, just conform or go uh, go along to get along, or feel like maybe even they're doing their patriotic duty uh, by following what uh, is in their eyes, man's eyes, right, rather than what God is right in God's eyes, and. I think that's where a lot of church leaders fall today. They are much like those um, officials that turned Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah into the king. And so we, we aspire 
to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But unfortunately, we are too much like King Nebuchadnezzar and the officials. And so the, the question then becomes, how do we get to that point to where we can have the faith to face, the courage not to conform, the lech lecha. How do we get to that point? And I would just say that I do not believe that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah came to this faith in an instant. Like I believe that their life had been shaped, their faith had been shaped through trials and tragedies, uh, travesties all through their lives about by being exiles and still being faithful, by facing uh, adversity throughout their life, but trusting in God and God being faithful. And they recognized God being faithful. And they had seen recently how uh, Daniel's faith had uh, led them to, to be saved by praying to God for a miracle of revelation. And he reveals Nebuchadnezzar's dream. They were a part of that prayer and they saw how God was faithful. And so their life was on the line right there. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had, had ordered all of the wise men to be, uh, to be killed. And Daniel was able to save them. God was able to save them by giving them a revelation. And they saw how their faith in God paid out and paid off. And so I believe that it's only through spending time again and again, trusting in God in every circumstances, building that relationship with him, not rely upon relying upon your own strength, but always going to him and seeing how he is faithful, that you build that type of relationship with him, that type of faith that can withstand that faith to face. And so I would just encourage you to get into these stories and uh, try to relate to them as much as possible. Try to put yourself in all of the scenarios of all the people in the stories and, and say, do I really act more like Nebuchadnezzar or do I really act more like the officials or do I truly have the faith to face like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? And can I claim the faith to face? Well, I know this podcast has run a little long, actually quite a bit longer than I intended. And so if you have stuck with me all the way to this point, I just want to say thank you. I know that you have done so because you love God and you desire to grow closer to Him. You love Iron Man and you love me, and I just am so appreciative. And if you've made it this far, I just want to uh, encourage you with one final word. You see, in Daniel chapter 3, the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we see three men facing an adversity that really challenges their very life, but we see them doing it together. I would like to think that their being together and going through this adversity together helps strengthen each one of their faith. Who knows if they would have been able to withstand the trials and temptations and the pressure put on them to bow down if they were on their own. I know that that is the value of Iron Man. I know that we are much stronger together than we are apart. 
I know that we are far more encouraged when we have a larger group there than when we have a smaller group. And so I want you to consider how you might actually spur someone else's faith on simply by showing up and being there for them. That the next time you decide whether you're going to uh, attend Ironman, that you're not trying to decide whether it is best for you, but whether you could encourage someone else by doing so. If we had a group of men who were focused on loving God and loving each other and giving of our faith rather than trying to get something for ourselves, like who knows what would be possible. Like if we truly came together for each other rather than for ourselves, that is what I'd like to see. And so I just ask you and encourage you and remind you that when we are together, we are stronger. And brothers, I need you. I need your strength. I need your encouragement to uh, grow in my faith. And so I just want to encourage you to think next time, whether you're coming or not, for that decision to be based on whether you can give something rather than what is best for you at that moment. All right, brothers, I will see you next Monday at Argyle at 7 p.m. for Daniel chapter 4. And I look forward to encouraging each other as we strive to grow in our love for Christ. Thank you.